Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This time from Pastor Nick Scott. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. One of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Oh, Lord, may your glory fill this place today the living presence of Jesus. Lord, may we together sense the manifest presence of the Holy God in our midst. We might recognize, Lord, that we are people of unclean lips, people who need the touch of the one who is the Holy One of Israel. All that touches this morning, come to us, be with us, speak to us. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder this morning that you leave the 99, you go to the one. The one who's wandering away, the one who's lost, the one who feels abandoned. The one who doubts, the one who feels alone. Lord, you leave the 99, you pursue relentlessly the one with your love and with your grace. Oh Lord, we pray today that those ones among us who feel lost would return to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the richness of your presence with us. Lord, teach us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, welcome to a new month and a new series. It was great to worship the Lord this morning, isn't it? Wow. Just before we come to our topic today, uh, on Sunday morning, the 9th of June, we will be celebrating our 60th anniversary as a church. 60 years. Well, we think that's probably something worth celebrating. And uh, already plans are underway, plans that will involve quite a number of people who've been part of our Mount Pleasant Baptist Church history, uh, long-term history. And so 
just want to flag that with you this morning, just to, so you know that for that morning, the plan is to have one big service that morning. Combine our morning congregations, invite Kubel up, invite our PM congregation, and invite people who previously have been part of our church family here, uh, who've sort of moved on and relocated or done other things for different reasons. Uh, so that's where some of you come in. Some of you who've been around a while, we need your help to start spreading the word with uh, just this, at this stage, just this basic save the date message. If you can contact some of those people, if you're still in connection with some of those people who've been part of our church family uh, over the years, uh, we'd love them to be a part of that celebration. And uh, so there'll be lots more information to come, but, you know, invitation cards and reminders and so forth. But for now, if you can help just with uh, spreading the word, that would be just fantastic. I appreciate that. So we've entitled our new series, Glory. And through this month, we'll take a closer look at the prayer of John 17. Actually, the longest of Jesus' prayers recorded in the scripture. And, uh, you know, that in itself is an amazing thing to contemplate, isn't it? This, uh, this idea of Jesus, God the Son, speaking with God the Father. It's like we've got this insight into this conversation that's taking place within the Godhead. God the Son speaking with God the Father, and God the Spirit is also present. And amazingly, one of the things Jesus speaks to his Father about in this prayer is us, of all things. He prays for us, and we'll come to that in a couple of weeks' time. But for today, the first part of the prayer is John 17, just uh, 1 to 5, and uh, Noel Lush is going to read those for us. Thanks, Noel. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Amen. Thank you, Noel. Glory. It's one of those words that uh, it's quite hard to define, hard to get our heads around. Uh, you know, the English word can be used in a number of ways to mean a number of different things. Got some uh, definitions up there. The first one, magnificence or great beauty. You know, you might have woken up early this morning and uh, flung the curtains open and said, my, what a glorious day. Anyone got people like that in their family? Sort of drive you mad at that time of the morning? You know that old thing? Some people say, uh, good morning, Lord. Others say, good Lord, it's morning. Uh, it's a glorious day. Well, it is a glorious day. Some of us just need a little bit more time to come to that conclusion. Second definition, glory can refer to praise and thanks to God. Uh, you know, glory to God. And then number three, the third one there, similarly, it can mean great admiration or honour and praise earned by achievement. You know, so people, you hear people say, oh, you know, they've worked so hard, those people, for this event or for this whatever, uh, they deserve all the glory for, uh, for what's taken place. But 
to gain a deeper understanding of this prayer, which, by the way, uses the words glory and glorify nine times, in, like if you think of not just the reading this morning, but if you look at the whole prayer, nine times actually it appears. I hold up five fingers, but it's because I don't know why I did that. Nine times, a significant theme actually of this prayer, glory. Uh, so to gain a deeper understanding, it'll help us to grasp something uh, of the biblical understanding of this word glory and what original hearers would have understood by this word that we might miss just from our English uh, definitions there in the dictionary. So here's a very quick biblical overview. Uh, right back in the book of Exodus, when you know the story, when the Israelites had fled from Egypt and they found themselves in the desert wilderness, and then we note that under God's instruction, they built a tabernacle, they built a tent in the desert, and uh, the Lord said to Moses, it's there in Exodus 25, have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Now that is an amazing statement in itself. I will dwell among them. I will make my dwelling among my people. This is the almighty God, the almighty creator of all things. I will make my dwelling among my people. So they did just that. They built this tabernacle. And uh, here's what happened when they finished. This is, again, a key event of Old Testament history. Exodus 40, 34 and 35, you have it there. Uh, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The tabernacle was, uh, in a sense, God's home on earth. You know, he continues to exist everywhere and continues to be in in the cosmos. But this, in a sense, became his new home. And the space of the tabernacle was filled with his glory, this overpowering sense of his presence. Then fast forward 500 years, and we see that Solomon then built the temple, which replaced the tabernacle as the central place of worship, uh, the central place of the very presence of God on earth. And God also filled the temple temple with his glory. So look at uh, 2 Chronicles 5, 13 and 14, where it says... Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, a bit like we just read in Isaiah 6, that was, that passage I read just before we began. The temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. Why? Because the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Something tangible, something discernible, something dramatic something even visible in the form of this cloud happened when the immediate presence of God came into the tabernacle and into the temple. Something magnificent, something awe-inspiring, something wonderful summed up in this word glory, which I'd suggest to you this morning our English definitions don't quite, you know, capture fully. Something wonderful. It's referred to quite often in Jewish writings and came to be linked with another Hebrew word, Shekinah. You might have heard the term Shekinah glory, especially uh, probably some of those of you who've come from more Pentecostal backgrounds. Uh, We all need a bit more, actually, of the Shekinah glory in our lives. But, uh, you know, this word Shekinah, it's actually a word literally means dwelling. 
So the Shekinah glory was this amazing manifestation of God himself, the almighty God, the almighty creator of all things, dwelling with his people in the tabernacle and then in the temple. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. Now, the glory of God is once again manifest, once again revealed, this time in the person of Jesus himself. Let me suggest three ways in which the glory of God is revealed in Jesus. Number one, the glory of God is revealed in Jesus' coming. It's important in this prayer in John 17, Jesus begins, or Jesus says actually it's at the end of his prayer, it's the end of this section of his prayer, he says, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had before the world began. And so we understand that yes, Jesus was born and came into the world as a baby, but he pre-existed in another form for eternity before that. These were the things that the, those in the early church had to sort of kind of, kind of grapple with and understand and come to terms with. He pre-existed in another form for eternity before that. Jesus, the human being, didn't exist for all eternity before, but the person existed. The person existed before the world was created in a state of perfect, brilliant glory, a state to which he recognises in his prayer in John 17, he will shortly return to this state of glory. In John 1, we read about this one who is called the Word, and uh, you'd be familiar with this passage in John 1, many of you, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God, but he was God, this one, called the Word. And in, in John 1, we have what I would think surely is one of the most important verses of the whole of Scripture, and it's John 1.14, which says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Language of Exodus 25.8, I will dwell with my people, I'll dwell among my people in the tabernacle. The Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, says John. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh in the form of Jesus and made his dwelling literally tabernacled. He tabernacled among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of God, says John. Now, any biblical scholar will understand John's clear intent here to connect the dots to the tabernacle in the wilderness and the Shekinah glory of Exodus 40. That just as the glory of God manifest in the tabernacle and just as the glory of God manifested later in the temple where God's dwelling was with humanity, now in Jesus, that same glory of God is manifested in the person of Jesus where again God is dwelling with humanity now in a new way, not in a building, but in a person. That's why when Jesus was born, the host of angels appeared and what did they sing? They sang glory. Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. They they recognised that the glory of the heavenly realms was somehow present in a manger. In Bethlehem. What a remarkable thing. 
And then before Jesus had done anything by way of miraculous signs or you know, impressive teaching, uh, we read that passage in, again in John's Gospel where John the Baptist laid eyes on him and pointed him and said, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an amazing statement. See, John the Baptist recognised in the Spirit who Jesus was. It was revealed to him. The glory of God. Imagine the glory of God in the flesh, the person of Jesus. John knew that he was in the presence of the central figure of the Almighty God's plan to save humanity. He was in the presence of God himself. I think John knew that when he pointed to Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He recognised he was in the presence of God himself. That's why John said, This man, Jesus, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy even to kneel in the dust and untie this man's sandals because I'm in the presence of God himself. I'm not worthy because here before us in the person of Jesus is the glory of God. It's an amazing thing. So the glory of God's revealed simply in Jesus' coming. Secondly, the glory of God is revealed in his miracles. Jesus begins his prayer in John 17 with this phrase, against an important phrase. He says, Father, the hour has come. And this is a significant phrase because on at least five other occasions in John's Gospel, we read that certain things took place or did not take place because the hour had not yet come. My hour has not yet come, says Jesus. The first of those occasions was at the wedding in Cana, where, rather embarrassingly, they ran out of wine. You might know the story. There's no Dan Murphys in Galilee. Uh, there wasn't... I'm sure there is now. They're everywhere, aren't they? Goodness, too many. Jesus' Mary, mother, Jesus' mother, Mary, comes to him and says, uh, they're out of wine. I mean, it's embarrassing. This, the host, they're out of wine. To which Jesus says, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Well, Jesus then performs his first miracle, turning water into wine, and a very good wine at that. Think the very expensive wine section in Dan Murphy's where it's all behind glass. This is like this was exceptional wine, where you and I don't shop. I don't shop. (laughs) And John 2.11 says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. Interesting. The first of his signs, through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. So in other words, the purpose of Jesus' miraculous signs was twofold. First, the miracles themselves revealed his glory. People recognised the glory of God in the miracles themselves. People saw Jesus do miraculous things and they were deeply impacted. Of course they were. They heard his teaching. They were astonished. They said things like, we've never heard anyone speak like this before. We've never heard anyone speak with such authority. We've never heard anything like this ever. Then they saw what he did with their own eyes, miracles. They saw things and they went, wow, you know what, this is not normal. What we're seeing here is not normal. This is is unusual. This is extraordinary. We've never seen anything like this before. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? 
Remember when uh, the disciples were fishing and Jesus intervened and they went from catching no fish all night, which you know I can relate to as a fisherman, to then suddenly catching so many fish, the nets were breaking. And Peter's response was to fall to his knees and say, go away from me, Lord. You remember? Just go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. It's like his Isaiah 6 moment. I'm a man, I'm rec- I recognize I'm in the presence of glory. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm among a people of unclean lips. Lord, in a sense, you don't belong here with us, or we don't belong with you. We're not the same. He recognized the glory of God. Jesus' miracles revealed his glory. Well, secondly, the miracles brought people to faith. They saw with their own eyes and they believed in him. As a result, people followed Jesus as a result of the miracles. And yet we'd have to conclude that the miracles themselves were only, in a sense, a partial revelation of his glory. So all through John's gospel, we read this repeated phrase, his hour had not yet come. You know, there were times when Jesus should have been arrested. The opportunity was there, but somehow he was able to simply walk through the angry mob. Remember those stories in the Gospels, if you read through? He just walked through and this angry mob just sort of parted. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. It wasn't yet the hour. The hour for the glory of God to be fully revealed. The hour wasn't right for that. So here in John 17, as the cross looms large before him, Jesus now says, Father, now the hour has come. Now the time has come. Now glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Now the hour has come. Now the whole purpose in my being here on earth, says Jesus, is coming to its fulfillment at the cross. Which brings us to the all-important number three. The glory of God is ultimately revealed in the cross. You know, from a human point of view, the cross was an instrument of harsh punishment. It was a, actually, it was a symbol of ultimate shame. There was thought to be no more shameful way for someone to die. But for Jesus, this was somehow in a way that I don't think we can ever fully comprehend... This was the means of true glory. This was the hour and the provision of eternal life for all who would believe is the outworking of this glory. The hour has come. The appointed time for Jesus' death, for his resurrection, for his exaltation and for his glorification. On this, the night of his betrayal, which is the night when he prays this prayer in John 17, the heart of Jesus' prayer, as he looks ahead to the cross is that the Father will accomplish the purpose of this appointed hour. Jesus absolutely trusts his Father and willingly places his fate, his suffering, his road to the cross in his Father's hands. That's really what this prayer is about. It's a prayer of absolute trust, echoed in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, which he will pray shortly after, where he says, Not my will, but yours be done. Echoed on the prayer even from the cross itself, whereas he breathes his last breath. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. See, only through the cross, only through the cross, is there salvation for humanity. 
Only through the cross is there salvation for you and for me and for the one who is wandering away and Jesus pursues relentlessly. Only through the cross, through the death of Jesus, is there life. Only through the cross is the glory of God ultimately revealed as we who believe are invited to share in his glory. It's a remarkable promise. So the glory of God is revealed in Christ, in his coming, in his miraculous signs, and then ultimately in the cross. As we close this morning as our time's gone, I'm going to suggest we read together a passage of scripture, probably one of the great hymns of the early church. It's a passage that summarizes so well what God has done for us, and it seems a very fitting way for us to finish, perhaps as the, uh, the team comes forward. Why don't we stand together? I invite you to read this. Let's read this together. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 93291777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.